Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Okay, I know you know the song, but who's the artist? Rick Derringer. No. What? Not even close. Johnny Winter. Rick Derringer did it, too. I know that. That's <laughs> the one everybody knows. This came out earlier. Did it really? Yeah. Okay. You didn't Ed, realize it was a trick question. Yeah. Johnny Winter did it. This is like 1973 or, or maybe earlier. No, it's earlier. It's like 70. Um, then Edgar Winter did it when Rick Derringer was in his band. Right. And then Rick Derringer did it. They all three did the song. Cool. But Johnny Winter did it before any of them. You can tell Johnny Winter by his voice, of course. You know, Johnny Winter from Port Arthur, Texas. Uh, interesting musician. I'm going to play another song of his uh, in the second thing. But uh, second, what do we call the second segment? Segment. Yeah. What, what, it's a segment. Get that in my head. Um, Hard as that head is. So yeah. I would say that. Rick Derringer's version is more rock and roll, and Johnny Winter's version is more kind of hardcore, bluesy, blues rock. rock. Yeah, blues rock. Part of it has to do with his voice, his his yeah vocals. His um, you know he's kind of like a Janis Joplin of what he does, right? Kind of a scratchy you know thing. That's just the blues rock voice yeah he 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 has it for sure so um i think uh maybe it was last year or this year recently uh edgar winter put out an album uh it was uh is he still alive edgar winter i i I think so yeah i think you're right Uh, but he he put out an album uh my brother johnny kind of thing and uh I heard a couple songs from that. It was really, really good. Was it? Yeah. I'm, I need to look that up. Yeah. Johnny Winter, um, when I – so this guy I knew he had been a Vietnam veteran. He was a counselor at the camp where I went. He was probably 11, 12 years older than me. He had a stack of albums that he would always play, and when he wasn't in the cabin, we'd play them. And um, – one of them was this album by Johnny Winter called Second Winter. And it was a two-album, two-record set that only had one and a half records. The flip side of the last record was just blank. Or it was flat plastic. Yeah. No grooves in it. Uh, <laughs> and so I listened to that thing, and it really revolutionized how I thought about um, blues and rock, and of course Johnny Winter, just as a 
he's kind of in the league by himself. He's unmistakable. Yeah. Uh, the, that album is called Brother Johnny by Edgar, and he okay. has he has uh, guest guitarists on there: uh, uh, Steve Lukather, Keb Moe, Joe Bonamassa, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, um, Warren yeah. Haynes. People uh, that have been influenced by that style of playing. Yeah, exactly. All right, so looks like you want to talk about Berkshire. Yeah. So this is Buffett's most recent uh, letter to shareholders. Uh, this was so that would be for Berkshire Hathaway symbols B R K A and B R K B, and if you want to buy a share of the B R K A, you better talk to your mortgage <laughs> loan officer because you're going to have to raise about what is it four hundred and f- almost four hundred seventy one thousand a share. Never split it. Actually, it just crossed four hundred seventy-one thousand. Um, but every year he writes the the letter to shareholders. This one's dated February twenty-fifth of twenty twenty-three, but it's for the twenty twenty-two year. Um, and there's always just nuggets of wisdom in this, and I mean you can you can get in the weeds or you can take it ten thousand foot view on these things, um, but just his insights, just how they view business uh, is what's fascinating to me. Um, and so just I'll, I'll read a couple pieces here. Um, so Charlie and I allocate your savings at Berkshire between two related forms of ownership. First, we invest in businesses that we control, usually buying 100% of each. Berkshire directs capital allocation at these subsidiaries and selects the CEOs who make the day-to-day operating decisions. We are understanding about business mistakes, but our tolerance for personal misconduct is zero. Our second category of ownership... Okay, so stop a minute. Yeah. So who? what are the names of some of those companies that they own lock, stock, and barrel like that? Uh, so that would who be... Who stocks no, ever, no longer trade on the... I know C's Candies is one of them. C's would be one. Geico is one uh, that they own 100% of. I think Dairy Queen. I believe Dairy Queen. They own 100% of. And then that company they bought. What's the the railroad company? uh, 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 Burlington Northern. Burlington Northern. So they own 100% of that. Yep. Another one is that Casp, was it? Precision cast parts. Precision cast parts. They, they took, bought yeah, all they bought. of that, and yep. and I know they got two. Uh, uh, is it National Indemnity? Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I think yeah, you're right on yeah, that. Yeah, National Indemnity. Yeah, and General Reinsurance. I think they bought that one too. But mm-hmm. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So those are the some of the ones they own. Yeah. So they they own these 100. percent They put their management in place and they let it, let the companies run. Right. Um, he makes the point later on, um, that when you're buying a, a company like this, you're buying the whole thing that sometimes you don't get as good a deal as you do with publicly traded companies because on a private company, it's going to drive the price up. Well, in a private company, if they're, it, well, if they're, if they, purchased it while it was private now they could purchase something that was publicly traded they could make an offer by the whole thing but they usually don't get as good a deal on it because especially a private company they're not driven by short-term that's right 
price fluctuations. Um, so he's making the point that with the second piece, which are publicly traded stocks that they own in the portfolio, that they can get a better deal because markets are not efficient in the short run. Right. Um, and so he, I'll, I'll read. So in our second category of ownership, we buy pub- publicly traded stocks through which we passively own pieces of businesses. Holding these investments, we have no say in management, um, but the way that they view them, they view meaningful investments in businesses with long-lasting, favorable economic characteristics and trustworthy management. Please note that particularly we own publicly traded stocks based on our expectations about their long-term business performance, not because we view them as a vehicle for purchases and sales. That point is crucial. Charlie and I are not stock pickers. We're business pickers. I love that. So there, and we talk about this on the show all the time. When you own a piece of a, uh, when you own a share of stock, you are an owner of that company. And you should view that as a business owner, uh, not as a trading vehicle that a lot of people do. So if you view it as a business, then that, you're you're setting yourself up to actually be a long-term shareholder, a right. long-term actual investor, not trader. So I believe that in com- countries like the US and other countries that investors have but primarily the US investors have this uh, really incredible chance to buy and own a piece of a business through the stock market and that you should view your investing activities as a way to be a partner in a business that you can fully understand if you want to. You can ask questions. You can read the 10Ks, the 10Qs, the annual reports, research reports that are available, and you can learn about each business and every business that you might want to invest in, and that's a unique opportunity. You don't have to have somebody like us to do that. You can do that on your own. And quite frankly, you should, even if you have an investment advisor, sometimes there's this tendency to say, well, let's let them take care of it. No, sir. You ought to do the research on your own stuff. That's exactly what Warren Buffett does. He's been doing it for years. He's no better than you are. He just does it harder and he's got more experience about, and he's made bad investments that teach you how to make good ones. You can learn how to do it too. That's right. I mean, there, you know, it's not rocket science in a sense. It can be done. Well, and to your point, uh, he, he sa- <coughs> says here, our satisfactory results, which that's, you know, that's an understatement, talking about Berkshire's results, performance, have been the product of about a dozen truly good decisions. <clears throat> that would be about one in every five years. And sometimes forgotten advantage that favors long-term investors so they've they make they've made a bunch of investments most of them have been okay 
There have been some that have been phenomenal. And what Buffett has is, first off, a vehicle that allows that, you know, truly as a long-term investment. You know, that was the first great decision they made, and maybe the best one. That's probably the do best. It, do it in the context of an insurance company. Right. And so that allows for the true long-term investor. You don't have the redemptions. You don't, I mean, all. Yeah, money being pulled away from you. Exactly. It's better than any private equity <coughs> vehicle out there. Um, but it has decades of compounding. Um, right. And so a good vehicle, um, uh, uh, calm demeanor, uh, focused on the long-term and making good investments and not not jumping in and out of things, just letting good things work. He use, he talks about Coca-Cola. Uh, so that they invest they finished a seven year purchase of Coca-Cola in nineteen ninety four. Four hundred million shares. Total cost is one point three billion dollars. And at the time that was a significant sum for Berkshire. The cash dividend they received from Coke in 1994 was $75 million. By 2022, the dividend had increased to $704 million. So, How much is the value of the investment? Uh, it doesn't specify. Actually, no, excuse me. So then on top of that, the dividends, uh, they also brought – Investment gains at year end, Coke investment was valued at twenty five billion dollars. Right. So they've they've been receiving the dividends plus the price appreciation. So when you're looking at as a long term investor, you know, he could have bought a thirty year treasury. Sure. In nineteen ninety four, probably would have been yielding what five six uh, yeah six five six percent for thirty years. Good, Good yield. Deal. And it was until. About December of last year, yeah, it was a decent yield, um, but it wasn't it wasn't keeping up with inflation. You know, the Coke purchase—you've had the dividends, you've had the price appreciation. So when you step back, if, and, if the Coke purchase had just equaled inflation, <coughs> we're in trouble. That's right. Uh, you know, so you you have to invest in things um, that maintain your purchasing power and grow your purchasing power over time. Right. Um, and businesses have historically been the best way to do that. They have to be because good businesses have to be able to raise prices, grow themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's how it is. A good business has to have pricing power. That's right. How much was Coca-Cola um, 40 years ago? 25 cents? 35 cents? Today, you'll pay two bucks for a Coke. So they've had pricing power. They're probably, Coke probably is more profitable today than it was years ago. But I, I mean, I know a lot of the inputs have gone up, but my bet is that the price of a Coca-Cola has gone up more than the price of the inputs. And right. so it's just a good business has what's called a moat, and it has the ability to maintain its moat just by doing what it does. Right. Well, right. and it's it's longevity. And it, he's – in this letter 
um, it's it's more obvious than it's been any time in the past. He he kind of give, he gives a shout out to Charlie at the end. Charlie's ninety nine, and you, you don't want to look at it and say this is his farewell letter to Charlie, but he he gives a pretty good amount of space, you know, singing Charlie's praises and the importance of Charlie being on the team all these years. So Warren is what, 91? 92. And Charlie's 99. 99. And people say, well, you ought to retire at 65. (laughs) You know, I mean, think about it. Seriously. And you've seen it. Think about how many productive years of some of our clients have been lost because of mandatory, you know, retirement kind of attitudes. Yep. I don't think it's actually a rule, but it, it's the way people look at it. You know, I'm 70, I'm 67 years old. I need to retire. And our industry, in a way, I think is partially guilty because it has told people, you know, it's time to retire. You know, we're going to set up your whole thing. You'll live for 30 years off your retirement funds. I mean, I just happen to believe that there is the potential for a lot more productivity for many, many people than what they actually get. Yeah. Well, and it's it's such a personal decision. Um, some people... I wonder if Warren Buffett takes vacations. Like, does he go to Florida or, you know, where... Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, I've he, never he, heard anything about his vacation <laughs> schedule or, or... He does have... I know he ha- he sold a, a vacation home a few years back. Um, he had a place in California. Maybe that's maybe that's the one yeah. I saw that was... Probably because he wasn't using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... To that point, longevity. He goes to Omaha. <laughs> it's a vacation every day. You, you look at a, a, a institution like Berkshire, and um, one of the things I, I highlighted this at Berkshire, there will be no finish line. And so my my point, you know, he's he's kind of given this call out to Charlie. You know, he mentions that he's ninety two, Charlie's ninety nine. He talks about the lieutenants and all this, but. When you get kind of casting the light on others rather than yeah, yourself. When you get an institution like this and all the 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 whole army marching behind the general and you know, he's he's saying, Look at this. Yeah. This 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 institution isn't going anywhere. I didn't do this by myself. In other words, there's been a lot of people involved. There's been a lot of people involved, and he's he's always done this with Charlie. You know, it, it, Buffett, he'll kind of put himself out there as kind of a you know an all shucks you know yeah. kind of guy. Like, and, but the and, real smart guys, Charlie, and and and, and, oh. and he has said that. Now he's being humble about it. Um, but I I I did like this quote that he was uh, quoting Charlie. He said, finally, I'll add two short sentences by Charlie that I have uh, that have been his decision decision clinchers for decades. Warren, think more about it. You're smart, and I'm right. Right. <laughs> it's just you know, Charlie. He's he's uh, he's earned the right to be a curmudgeon, uh, yeah. and he'll you know he he speaks his mind. You know, he's done it recently on Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, yeah. different things, but. Um, He's wrong on Bitcoin. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong on Bitcoin. Wrong on Bitcoin. Um, but it's it's all no, about. I'm kidding. It's it's, it's probably right. 
one of the it's, Berkshire is just one of those amazing things that it started at the right time. You had Buffett, you had Charlie Munger that that was helping him along the way. The vehicle was right, the timing was right, and now you've had decades of this compound. They've and, kept it going and, and kept doing the same thing, doing the same thing, but evolving with. Time. And we've seen things that could have become another Berkshire, like say a Lucadia, but they disbanded. You know, right. so bought. Jeffries and then basically became Jeffries. That's right. And, and so, you know, they didn't keep it going. All right, we got to go to a break. That's a, the Munger um, Berkshire Hathaway team, Warren Buffett. It's a good example of teamwork. If you'd like to, the Dupree works, we work as a team as well. If you'd like to give us a call, 859 233 0400. We'll be back with the second segment of this hour in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. For a limited time, when you sign up for the Kentucky Lottery Fun Club, you will receive a free Powerball play on us. Join the Fun Club to have exclusive access to second chance promotions, play exciting games online, check your tickets, and so much more. Don't wait on your free chance to win millions. Sign up and get your free Powerball play today. Visit KYLottery.com for more information. And please play responsibly. Remember, it's just a game. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Join us for the second segment, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Now, this is a song from an album called Second Winter, and I would call this music Southeast Texas Blues Rock. And if you if you don't think ZZ Top was influenced or... Stevie Ray Vaughan by 
by Johnny Winter, you're crazy. Absolutely. Because there's a definite sound, and it's 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 not Mississippi or Deep South Blues. It's kind of a little bit, it's more of a Southeast Texas sound. And by Southeast Texas, I mean the corner of Texas that's in the Southeast that, you know, that uh, Port Arthur's as far east as you can go and not be in Louisiana. And, uh, but then when you get over in Louisiana, everything's Zydeco and Cajun. You don't have this. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no players like this in Louisiana. Yep. It's more, and then, you know, you go another 80 miles west and you're in Houston, which isn't far in Texas, but uh, it's a sound that influenced a lot of other players after it. It's the it's the groove. I mean, if you're listening to it right now, your head's probably kind of doing this kind of bob thing, and it, that's what all you know. ZZ Top it has that same kind of groove to it. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, I mean it's it's just that it's that style. Yeah. What are you laughing about? What's so funny? To How you? you held that sneeze back. <laughs> Once again, we need video because that was really no, impressive. It just died. That was impressive. It just died. So, all right. Let's see. Uh, entertainment versus investing. Well, I thought investing was entertainment. It can be. So, what do you? What's your point? <laughs> so. So this is a, a it's a blog by Ben Carlson. Uh, um, he's a CFA. Uh, he has a, a, a good blog, uh, good information on there. Um, but uh, it's a wealth of wealth of common sense. I believe's what the name of it is. Uh-huh. I've seen it before. Yeah. Um, I, to your point, it says following the markets can be a form of entertainment as long as you don't act on every impulse. Right, but the act of investing itself should not be exciting. In fact, good investing should be relatively boring. Now, what he's what he means there from the boring standpoint isn't necessarily it doesn't pique your interest. Um, if if you're not interested in it, you're probably not going to be very good at it because uh, you have to have an interest in the process. Um, but he he specifically was. Uh, Looking at an example, he uses Jim Cramer. Uh, this guy actually analyzed uh, not not Ben Carlson, but another guy analyzed Jim Cramer. Uh, this was over the period. Uh, let's see, between 2017 and 2021, on his show, he had 12,564 stock calls. Well, you think about it, five days a week. And that's, you know, however long his show is, that's what the show is, is, you know, talking stocks. And he's not going to do the same one over and over again. Not going to do the same one over and over. So that's actually more than uh, is in the the total world. Buy, sells. Buy, sells, everything. Um, So over 12,000 individual calls. When you compare that to the performance of the S&P 500, uh, he actually under, underperformed it by about six percentage points. Now, why does anybody listen to the guy? Entertainment. That's it. Now, that's what it should be for. Because, I mean, the guy is entertaining. Um, but remember, 
investing should take into account your specific needs, situation, where you are in life, what your goals are for the money, are you taking income, or uh, all these different things. And when you're watching somebody on TV, they're just spouting off names. And they can be right sometimes, they're going to be wrong other times, and I almost guarantee you they're not going to put any kind of time frame on these quote-unquote stock picks. Um, And so it's not about the pick per se. It's about the process. You know, what is the process of coming up with the investment thesis of this or that? I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the companies I invested in, but I the, I did this just in my personal portfolio the other day. I bought um, a retail company that is old, long in the tooth, and everybody expects them to not be a factor. But the price had gotten down so low that it looked like how could it go any lower? And then I also bought another one that is something we are buying for our clients. That's an up and coming, let's just say beverage company. I don't want it to be any more specific than that. Up and coming beverage company that has, let's call it four or 500 locations. That's expected to go to a thousand in a few years. That was a growth story. There are different reasons to invest in different kinds of businesses. I love right now the economics of the energy business. Here's why. Uh, and it, it's a business decision. You know, like you're saying, you're like Warren Buffett says, and he likes it too right now. Uh, you look at what happened in, Well, really starting in 2014 when you had a big decline and then all the way through 2020 when oil hit zero, there was very little discipline in the oil patch in terms of drilling for prospects. They put a lot of money into a well that may or may not, I mean, if it it hit and made, you know, oil back for a long of that time was over a hundred bucks a barrel and they would do extremely well, but they didn't really look at the business payback element of the drilling part of it. So you consequently had oil companies. You saw large amounts of write downs of sunk costs that had gone into wells that they were never going to really get back. So they wrote down, Really, it's a goodwill right now. Fast forward to today. Energy companies are very disciplined about how they use their capital. The ones that are still around are very careful about how they drill. The technology is much better now so that the finding percentages have gone way up. You're not going to drill as many dry holes. The things that you do drill are are likely to be productive, and you're not going to drill so many of them 
that you basically flood the market and put yourself out of business. They've gotten smarter about how they discipline their capital. This keeps the price up. Yeah. Price up. Drilling techniques have gotten better, cheaper in some ways. So you're not spending as much on a well. And you've got the price that's still where it is. That's good business characteristics. It's it's making every end of it kind of work for you. Those are things to look at when you're looking at a business. Right. Well, and <clears throat> he goes on to talk in here. You can you can use somebody else's research or analysis as kind of a launching pad, if you will. Right. Um, you know, if if Kramer mentions a stock and you're like, wow, that you know sounds interesting, that's that could be phase one you know yeah you 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 look at it and you say okay uh let's look at this company what are the financials what's management look like yada yada and on down the line on down through the process there has to be a process um and it has to be something that's um consistent um but if you if you just buy something because somebody tells you to or a family member says to or the the pressure of the media, you know, hey, buy gold. That's what you're seeing right now a lot. You know, you need to buy gold. It's been going on forever. And, but but every time you start having uh, an economy or a market doing what it's been doing, it, the noise gets louder. And if you do something like that, you go out and you buy gold or, uh, you know, you – get or overweight an or an annuity or whatever it is, or you sell out of the market or when things are good, you go all in on one particular thing. That's not investing. That's speculation. And you can't lose any money in annuities, right? Yeah, right. If you, if you think that call us, <laughs> we will sit down and talk with you. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, be careful uh, what you listen to out there. Um, there's there's no magic bullet that just solves you know solves everything. The bottom line is you have to think. Mm-hmm. Now, can doing the research be entertaining? Absolutely, sure. If you like studying about how companies do things, how they turn a profit, how they make a product or provide a service. And in doing so, they make a profit for their employees, for their shareholders. That is very fun because it's like solving a puzzle. can be a lot of fun. Gambling. It's different. People think investing is gambling. I like to describe gambling is where your chance of success is largely just that chance. Mm -hmm. You figure you've got, I don't know, 50, 50 odds. But when you take the house into consideration, you're, odds of making money are probably less than 50% if you play blackjack day in, day out. 
So much of it is dependent upon the luck of the draw. It's how it works. Gambling is sort of throwing caution to the wind and hoping something works. Wagering, if you bet horses, let's say, you can do your research on horses the same way we research stocks. The better researchers in wagering, and I'm not calling it gambling now, I'm calling it wagering, actually have a better chance of making money. But the problem is it's a time-specific bet. Right. So when the race is over with, it has no life to it. You you won or you lost. Makes it more akin to trading options. Yep. So the time specificity of it in some ways hampers your chances of doing well. You could be brilliant, but you don't have enough time to get it done, and it happens. Fast forward to what I would call real investing. It's not trading. Some people say, oh, I invest in stocks. Yeah, I invest for like 30 minutes at a time. That's day trading. That's more of a zero-sum game because you're not looking at the long-term growth potential of what you own. One step beyond that is actual investing. Now, that involves a high degree of research, business acumen, but also is non-time specific, meaning that it gives you a lot longer runway on which to finally succeed in terms of your investments. Now, if it's a bad investment and you made a bad decision, even time isn't going to fix it Yep, because it's never going to be good unless something happens that you didn't control. And now you're gambling again. <laughs> you're just gambling. That's if, right. If you're hoping. But if you have done your research on the kind of business it is, and you believe that based on track record, past history, there's a very good chance that management will continue to do what they've done in the past. Now you're not gambling. You're doing the research, and you have lowered your chances of losing money significantly because you have subjected yourself uh, to the discipline of research and uh, the discipline of buying the stock or, or whatever it is at what you think is a fair price. Right. Well, and when you apply what happens in markets, so we, you do the research on a company, and then what determines the price of that stock is ultimately in the long run, the fundamentals. In the short run, you have... I thought it was manipulated. <laughs> in the short run, Joking. you have the market forces. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's one one of the points Buffett makes is that the market in the short run is not efficient, um, that you can have a number of reasons. Wow. (laughs) Now, you can have a million different things that impact it in the short run, the price of a stock that are outside of uh, the fundamentals of the company. 
and short term short term exactly and that's when you can get opportunities to buy good companies like one of these stocks that we have was at around 37 then their earnings came in dropped all the way down to 32 that was a good buying opportunity because right. the, the stock is the stock of that company let's call it that is still on an upward tra- trajectory so you use you know, we were at that uh, real estate seminar the other day, and the guy was saying about real estate, you make money on real estate when you buy it, not when you sell it. In other words, if you buy it at a favorable price, yeah, you've already given yourself a significantly higher chance of making money. Right. Stocks are the same, and That's any right. kind of investment. That's right. And <clears throat> you combine a well-managed company uh, in a good profitable business uh, as a sector if you will um, with time you merge all those together that's when you have a good long-term investment um, but you know the other piece of it the mix of the companies that you have the types that you have be it growth income um, you know dividend paying price appreciation all that that has to go that that has to do with the portfolio construction and that's where your personal situation comes in too uh, because if you had a portfolio of growth stocks that over the next 30 years has you know 15% average but the returns are all over the place and you're taking distributions from it right. that might not work out well no because you have to sell when things go way down that's right um and so it when you're listening to entertainment, one know it's big entertainment. withdrawal when the market's way down can affect the portfolio for years to come. For years, yes, absolutely. And so, when you're in, it's at a time when you ought to be buying, you're taking money out instead. because you're because you have to because you're living on you're forced to you're forced to because life goes on. So that's where the portfolio construction, the management comes into it comes into play. Uh, it's not just about buying something that's going to go up tomorrow or next year. It it has to be put in to context of into the context of what your situation is. Right. Yeah. It's there will be volatility. It's a given. Yep. Volatility by that. All I'm saying when I say volatility is. Prices up, prices down. If you can reasonably take advantage of that volatility and make it work in your favor rather than against you, you have a pretty good shot at doing okay with this. You don't have to be a genius. You've been listening uh, to the Tom Dupree yeah. show with Mike Johnson. If you'd like for us to take a look at your portfolio and evaluate it based on your personal situation, give us a call at 859-233-0400. You can also schedule an appointment with us on our website, duprefinancial.com. We appreciate you listening to this hour, and we will be back with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned.